0: The motto for 2 Corinthians is, when I am weak, then I am strong. The Holy Spirit is using the Apostle Paul's troubles to show us that God is faithful, not only to see us through, but to use our difficulties in powerful ways. Now let's join Pastor Ross with another message from the series entitled, Strength Through Weakness. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these very well-known passages, especially in chapter 12. We're going to take a look at, Lord, the thorn in Paul's flesh and how his weakness was actually to his advantage because our weakness is the perfect backdrop for your power to be revealed. So help us to grasp these truths and set our hearts free. In Christ's name, amen. So the Apostle Paul and the false teachers are in an intense um, battle and bout of tug of war over the love and the loyalties of the Corinthian church, a church that Paul planted some six years earlier. He's the founding pastor and also a church that envious, phony balonies, false teachers, a.k.a. wolves in sheep's clothing, were trying to move in and take over in Paul's absence, as you recall. um, and make that church their very own now the bad guys their strategy is to exalt themselves and to belittle Paul to, to demean him and his accomplishments to accuse him to slander him and to diminish the love and the respect and the credi- credibility of the Apostle Paul as pastor of that, found, of that church he founded. And many of the Corinthians, especially uh, a vocal minority, were siding with them sadly and eating it all up. But their big thing, and here in the la- latter chapters, is uh, addressing their boasting. They were men who loved themselves and were full of themselves and uh, compared themselves with one another and always were boasting. And if we contemporized it, these are the guys, you know, who would boast about all the famous people that they know. They've been to Oprah's house. (laughs) They've been on the cover of Cosmo, believe it or not. Oh, they've got 400,000 followers on Twitter. You know, and what could that pathetic excuse of, a, of an apostle boast about? What could he say compared to all their glorious boasting? Well, Paul had a response, didn't he? Paul did. And so in chapter 11, as we get ready to dive into chapter 12, if I could paraphrase the essence of chapter 11, it would go something like this Okay, Corinthians. Time to answer these foolish men according to their folly. According to their folly. It means to sound as foolish as they are to make a point lest they be wise in their own eyes. Because it's foolishness for a believer to speak in glowing terms of themselves. Even the world knows that. and uh, Because it's not the one who commends himself. But... The one who the Lord commends, right? And so he'll say, in essence, uh, but since you guys have fallen for it, indulge me a little. And I'll do a little worldly boasting, even though it's not worth anything in the eyes of God. But since you guys have eaten it all up, he says, okay, in chapter 11, he says, they boast about being Hebrews, Well, I'm a Hebrew too. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I trace my lineage by blood to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then they boasted about serving Christ. Supposedly, actually, they were counterfeit, but they said that they served here. He said, listen, I am a greater servant than they. And he says, I'm out of my mind to say something like that, but I have suffered as a servant of Christ in far greater, more profound ways than they ever have. And so uh, he starts a list, but the surprise list of Paul's boasting in chapter 11 turns out to be a list of weaknesses, of frustrations, of failures, of things you wouldn't boast about, uh, except He's showing by boasting about his weaknesses how ridiculous it is to boast about your strengths, because man's weakness, as I said in the prayer, is a perfect backdrop for God to glorify Himself and to show the world it's not about the uh, it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit," says. The Lord. So that's chapter 11 summed up. In chapter 12, he's not done yet. Chapter 12 and verse 1. I must go on boasting, although there's nothing to be gained. I'll go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast... I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I say or do. I love the Apostle Paul. So we're going to pause there, note takers. A very great vision. A very great vision. Um, And so here... He's moving his way down a list of all the different ways that the super apostles were boasting about themselves. And so these are guys who used to make a big deal about their dreams and their visions and their uh, astro travel projection and their out of body and all the auras that they could see. And and as soon as you start talking about things that nobody else in the room can see, that everybody thinks you're special. Special, and you now have a way to intimidate people because you are in touch with the supernatural ones. So this is what they did. So he said, "Okay, you want to talk about visions, and uh, boasting about revelations. Um, theirs is not divine." Um, he had already mentioned about these same kind of guys. He said they love to worship angels. They name the angels. They bow before angels. They say the angels talk to them. And then in Colossians, it says, they go into great detail about what they have seen in their spiritual visions. And they're puffed up with their idle notions by their unspiritual minds. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 18. Well, it's Paul's turn. And Paul's going to go right to the top. Paul is going to talk about a vision that he had, um, and he had quite a few to choose from. But he's going to go to the number one wow just to sort of silence them, right? So he's going to say, I'm going to tell you one of mine, somebody I know, a, a, a close friend. And why does he do that? Because he is a man of humility, he is a man that is uncomfortable. He already said, I don't want to do this. This is dumb. This is not worthwhile. This is in how apostles talk. It is not in keeping with the meekness and gentleness of Christ. But I will stoop to their stupidity, and God kind of gave me the go-ahead to kind of show you, Corinthians, that I am not, quote, in the least uh, inferior. To these so-called super apostles and so he's going to have to break a 14-year silence about this this so-called vision or visit to paradise um, because the Lord did not allow him to disclose the information it was really for his own personal edification from what to endure all the suffering that this man had to go through this was for him. But God gave him the go-ahead. Tell him about the trip to heaven. You can't tell him anything about it. But you can tell him that you've been there. You know? So uh, I love this. So the the Corinthians needed to see that Paul was not outmatched in this area. So God said, let him have it, Paul. So he lets them know. He says, the greatness of this vision uh, necessitated God grounding me with a thorn, a terrible thorn uh, in my flesh. Now, by the way, we know that this man uh, is really Paul because he says, because of these great revelations, a thorn was given me. So there in verse seven, we've figured it out, right? So in verse two, he, he says, I apparently went to heaven. He says, uh, maybe we, we surmise that perhaps it was a near-death experience. He told the Corinthians he'd been exposed to death again and again over his ministry. So perhaps that was it. Maybe God God doesn't need a near-death experience to have raptured him, given him his own personalized rapture. You know, we're all envious, but, you know, our time is coming. Amen? Amen. You're going. (laughs) One way or the other, you're going to him or he's coming to you. But uh, yeah, and whether you know him or not, you're still going. Amen. Amen. So he says, "I, I was in the third heaven. Now, the ancients used to say the first heaven was where the birds fly. And then the second heaven was where the sun, moon, and stars go by. And the third heaven was a place where God dwelled. And so he said, I went to. And then he calls it paradise from a Persian word that that described the enclosed gardens of the Persian royal palace gardens that were breathtaking and some of the greatest wonders of the then known world. And so Jesus told the thief on the cross for simply... Changing his mind. You've got paradise in your future starting today forever. Simply by changing his mind. That's called repentance. It's a pretty good deal. Everything for nothing. Amen. And so he said, I I was there, verses two and three. I can't say exactly how it happened. Was I really there? It seemed like it. But maybe it was just a vision. And and then he says in verse five, now that's something to talk about. That's that's a thing. But he says, uh, it's true. It wouldn't even be boasting. But I've refrained from doing so. Verse six, look at this man of God. He says, so that nobody would think more highly of me than is warranted by what I do and say. In other words, he's going to say, I cannot be some superhuman character to you because then you're going to excuse my example as, well, that's the apostle Paul. We already do that as it is. But he's saying, I'm an ordinary broken guy. I've got this thorn in my flesh. You just said I'm full of anxiety about the churches and I have burning temptations. I'm a regular human being. Look at my resume. My life has been one big ginormous wreck. I've been hungry. I've been thirsty. I haven't had enough clothes. He wants us to see that God can do the miraculous through the weakness of an ordinary person. So that's why he doesn't go around saying, oh, by the way, I went up to heaven, you know, high five and Gabriel, you know, (laughs) he doesn't do that. But the false teachers do that. Oh, I had a vision. And let me tell you the names of the angels. Oh, and and let me describe heaven to you. And then I'm going to come back down and then I'm going to write a book and make a movie and make lots of money. Now, if those producers would have just known their Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where it says right here, men are not permitted. The word in the Greek is unlawful to speak of such things. If Paul the apostle was, it was illegal and prohibited by God to him to talk about what he saw in heaven, how is it possible that any Christian could believe that God is now saying to some little kid, go ahead and tell him now. I told Paul, no. But you know, your mom and dad need some money. You know, (laughs) sorry. And then he recanted and said it was all a lie and then he made it up and they pulled the book. Moving on. (laughs) And so, yeah, speaking of, of, of... chapter 12, <laughs> he says, listen, I'm vulnerable, and I didn't want—I don't want people thinking too much of me, right? So, uh, G. Campbell Morgan, then we've got to move yeah. on, said this about this passage. He's a great Bible scholar. What a man of God. He says, how often people have wanted to tell me about their visions. I'm always suspicious. I want to know what they had for supper the night before. <laughs> If people have visions of this sort, they are silent about them. Moving on. To keep me from becoming conceited, puffed up, blown up, airborne in the Greek. From catching air (laughs) because of these surpassingly great revelations there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of the devil to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is enough for you. For my power is made perfect in that weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, people, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties for when I'm weak That's when I'm truly strong. So we've moved from a great vision, a very great vision, to now a very terrible thorn. All right, so very famous passage here, falling on our ears. And so the thorn was given, not inflicted. The word can mean gifted. I was gifted a thorn in my flesh because of surpassing great revelations that others may be tempted, of course, to think more highly of Paul than they ought, but Paul was in no danger of thinking more highly of himself than he ought because, thankfully, God spared him and saved him from ruining his life by granting him and gifting him a real permanent problem to struggle with all the days of his life. John Stott said, it's not about the revelation that caught him up that he'll boast about, but about the pain that brought him low. Now, uh, I see the thorn as kind of a counterbalance to all this lofty um, honor and gifting. He He's written 13 New Testament epistles. He's the author of scripture. You've got to be like dead to yourself to let the Holy Spirit write perfectly, inerrantly through you without a single um, inaccuracy of any kind. Yes, you see his personality. Yes, you see the man Paul in there, but it is perfectly inspired by God. And in order for that to happen, Paul had to suffer. Because with great privilege and honor in the Lord comes the counterweight always. The grounding wire. You know what a grounding wire is? A grounding wire is an avenue for the electricity to escape so that if there's a short circuit, you don't get electrocuted. And we short-circus, yes, we short-circus as well. In my family, I short-circus all the time. And he grounds us. And so for humility, for a humble sense of our need, to be prayerful, to be seeking God, he gives us, and this is how you pronounce it in the Greek, scallops. It's exactly the same pronunciation. S-K-O-L-O-P-S for the transliteration from the Greek. And it means a rather large splinter, a sliver of wood, a sharp, painful uh, stick into your flesh that defies removal. Well, what exactly was it? Well, it was something that God was allowing to help keep him from becoming, in his words, conceited. And I told you that word means blown up, exalted, inflated, or airborne. And it's used to describe the Antichrist who opposes and exalts, same word, himself over everything that is called God. And goes into the temple, sits down, and proclaims himself to be God because he's so conceited. And to keep me, the Apostle Paul. From becoming like the Antichrist, God has gifted me with a permanent struggle that requires me to spend time on my knees. It creates a grounding and anchor to my soul that I'm not quick to judge other people. I'm not quick to think too much of myself because there, but the grace of God go I because I am wounded. I have a limp, I have a permanent alley. I've got a permanent grain of sand stuck right where it hurts, underneath my sock and right there. And three times I said, dear God in heaven, take this, anything but this thing. And he says, oh, you don't understand. This is exactly what you need. Exactly. I am the great physician. You came into my office and I I checked you out. From the top of your head to the bottom of your foot. And I know exactly what you need to save your soul. So this is what he's talking about. And of course, what was it? Well, scholars love to write about these things. But the Holy Spirit leaves it vague. You know why? So that we can fill in the blank. You know, it might have been some horrible, relentless temptation, some uh, blasphemous thoughts. One writer said, you know, sporadic, a messenger from the devil. You know, so here's what happens. Satan cannot mess with a Christian unless he gains permission. You see that with Peter. You see that with Job. Right, so he has asked permission, and the Lord says, "I want you to send one of your thugs from from the devil's gym." You know, God has a gym, God's gym. You know, I've seen those around. (laughs) Well, the devil has a gym, and so he's got his version of Rocky Balboa in there, right? And so one of the demons, you know, send him to be Paul's sparring partner for life. So there's nothing like. an an undercut to your jaw from some devil to keep you grounded and from becoming somebody who's walking around talking about your revelations and your gifts and how many people go to your church and all of that nonsense. That's what it is. It's got a good reason for it. So what do you do about your thorn? First... You plead with God to take it away because trials come and go and some little splinters are removed. But the ones that stay after you pleading and pleading and pleading, now you still pray, but you pray in a different way. You pray the prayer of acceptance. You pray the prayer, God, teach me to live with this. What are you trying to work in me? Show me. And he'll show you. Help me to cooperate with it. Help me not to be resenting you. Help me not to build my whole life around how do I get rid of the very thing that you have given me to help me. Spend my whole life and everything will be fine once I get rid of the thorn. Newsflash. Some thorns will never go away because God designed it that way. Oh, you'll know in your heart You'll know in your heart, this one's going to stay around. This one's going to stay around. Praise the Lord. Happy, happy Wednesday night to you all. <laughs> I'm glad we had some pizza before the bad news here. You know, listen. God says, I'll give you the sufficient grace to handle it don't have to keep pushing it away, pushing it away, pushing it away. And speaking of special revelations, he says, I've got a revelation for you. I had an epiphany for Jesus' sake and for serving him. Here's what I've learned. Guess what? Weakness, insults, hardship, difficulties, my thorn. Persecution, whatever it is. That's when God shines through me. That's how God uses me. That's how souls are one to him. That's how he gets the glory. That's how it works character in me. That's why I stay prayerful. You know very well that when things are going really good and you've got lots of money in the bank and you're really healthy and everything's going your way, that you are less spiritually devoted. Then when all hell breaks loose and you don't have any money and you don't know where to go and the heat's being turned up, you are on your knees more. You are praising God louder. You're lifting your hands in worship suddenly. Whoa, what happened there? But when everything's cool, oh, no, we don't do things extreme like that. Well, when things are extreme, you get on your face before God and you start talking about it more and you start cracking the Bible. That's the way we are. That's the way Israel was. That's human nature and God knows it. And so Paul says, I've had an epiphany and I pass it along for free. Delight in the thing that's showing off your weakness and helping God to use it for his good purposes. Amen. Amen. One writer said, I'm, this passage makes me say this. I'm okay with living in God's plan B world as I'm being prepared for his plan A world yet to come. I like that. I liked it. <laughs> Moving on, 11 through 13. Sometimes I do things just for me, apparently. All right, 11 through 13. <laughs> I have made a fool of myself. But guess who made me do it? You guys. (laughs) Then he says, I ought to have been commended by you. For I'm not in the least inferior to your super apostles. The power rangers for Jesus. (laughs) Even though I am nothing. I love him. Verse 12. The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles, were done among you with great perseverance. How were you inferior to the other churches? Oh, yeah, except that I was never a burden to you. Please forgive me for that wrong. A little irony there, a little sanctified sarcasm. All right, so we've moved from a very great vision and a very terrible thorn to a very sad truth. So he's just about done with the whole foolish boasting thing. And so a breath to reflect. And he says, listen, here's the truth for you. You guys made me go through all of that. I had to. You guys were like, what's up with you, Paul? Here's what they're saying. Here's what they're telling. Here's all their wonderful revelations, Paul. So instead of commending me to them and spinning them back and defending and sticking up for me, the guy who led you to the Lord who has labored night and day for two years among you, you jump on their bandwagon. You should have been my biggest cheerleaders. But instead, <laughs> you start to criticize. Now, He said, verse 12, you had sufficient evidence that God was using me. He says, signs, wonders, and miracles uh, uh, were done not just sporadically, but consistently. (laughs) That's it right there. And by the way, this is your proof text, you guys, for when people say, why aren't there apostles anymore? The qualification for a New Testament apostle is miracles, signs, and wonders. And that you have seen Jesus with your own eyes. He, he brings that up in another place. And the Apostle Paul can check, 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 check. When did they see Jesus with their own eyes? And their miracle signs and wonders? Counterfeit. Counterfeit. Okay, and so he said there are plenty of signs, power of God, conversions, baptisms, changed lives. You stopped bowing down to rocks and you're worshiping the Lord. Just your marriages have been strengthened. Come on, people. And then he says... Oh, yeah. The only thing that, uh, the only respect that the mark, um, the only thing missing as far as the qualifications of an apostle in your midst was this. I didn't take your money. I didn't receive your offerings. That was the only thing lacking. Because when apostles go to other churches, they get supported. The only thing that you guys were missing from my apostleship was me taking your money. Please forgive me. <laughs> Continuing on, verses 14 through 16 Nay, hey, Now I'm ready to visit you for the third and final time. <laughs> I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your stuff, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I'll very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, are you really going to love me less? Sheesh. Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. And so let's talk about that. So moving from a very sad truth now to a very ironic question. If I love you more... Are you gonna love me less? So he says, "I'm not budging there in verse uh, your verses right there. He says, "I'm coming to uh, Corinth for round three. He says, and, and FYI, I won't be accepting offerings still, and which seems to, to have bothered you somehow. Uh, I'm financially independent and you'll have to keep on bearing this injury that I've inflicted on you because heads up, I'm not going to change my ways. And that's what he's saying. And then he says, why? He says, these guys are currently defrauding you. And he says, I want a relationship with you. I don't want your stuff. I don't want your money. I'm not interested. I am just not interested. Uh, Not what I can get from you, but you yourselves, verse 14. Then he says and elaborates he says, Dads don't go into their kids' piggy banks, Uh, right? He says, Dad puts the money in there, and I became your spiritual father. So I'm not interested in your piggy banks. I'm the dad, okay? In this case, yes, in other churches, it is ordained of God that ministers make their living through the gospel. He already said that. He said in this situation, God has put it on my heart to work and not to be not to live above reproach for the false teachers were going to accuse him of defrauding them, which they did. And so he says, uh, that's what's up about this. And so he says, does this make you love me less that I want to be Less of a burden to you, and here's the implication: No, of course it should make you appreciate his relationship all the more, right? But he says, the more I try to bless you and say, Hey, 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 I've got plenty of money. Don't worry about that. Let's let's do something else here. You know, are you gonna love me more less for that? That's crazy. One writer said, all believers should be aware that whenever we harden our heart to the truth of the gospel. As many Corinthians did, the result will be further deception, distortions, and soon we will admire and love what's evil and reject and resent what's good. And that's what they're doing. The more Paul does to bless them, the more they are mad at him. Why? Because they started to sin. And when you're in sin, you become insane. <laughs> you just lose your bearings and you, and now the, Paul's the bad guy. And the super duper apostles, oh, they're the good guys. What happened to them? Well, they started to harden their hearts. 16 being to 21. Yet, crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you? So he sent, let me just set up this paragraph. He sent Titus and the brother to collect an offering from Corinth to relieve the poverty stricken Jews, Jewish Christians. In Jerusalem. And they came. They got the offering and left. And the false teacher said, see, he gotcha. That's going into his pockets. So now he's addressing that. Yet crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent you? I urged Titus to go to you and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not act in the same spirit and follow the same course? Have you been thinking all along that we're defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. And everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I'm afraid that when I come to you, I may not find you as I want you to be. And you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be... Quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, faction, slander, gossip, arrogance, disorder. I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of impurity, sexual sin and debauchery in which they have indulged. Okay, we're getting there. We're almost to the end now. Uh, Chapter 12 is closing out now with a very real fear. So we've moved from a very ironic question to a very real fear. When he arrives in Corinth, the fear is that it's going to be chaos. So he's going to answer the charges one last time. And he's going to say, look, Titus and the brother, they weren't the same as always. Men above reproach. You love these guys. Titus came back and said, they love us. And the, and they did everything right. They're young men who who love the Lord. And he said it's the same spirit. And if this, if Titus was guiltless, so was Paul. They were upright and highest integrity. They supported themselves and all of that. He said they conducted themselves with the same spirit. Did they not? Verse eighteen, verse nineteen. I love this. He says. Does it sound like yeah, I'm defending myself? Actually, this is all about teaching you. It's not about defending our reputation as much as my personal disclosures here are so that you can identify with me and imitate me. That's really what it's all about. So here's what he's teaching them. He's not, this book isn't really about him defending himself so much as it is, here's what the true Christian life looks like. Uh, God uses our weaknesses and our hardships. This is what we, how we boast in God's power. We're not defending ourselves. We're schooling you guys. That's what he's saying there in those verses. And then now to the very real fears, he says, verses 20 and following, there are three fears. Number one, in verse 20, I'm afraid that we will be mutually disappointed with each other. You will be unhappy with me. And I will be unhappy with you. Number two, that you guys will be as worldly as when I found you six years ago when you were worshiping the works of your hands. That you'd be godless with eight social vices are listed there that make people obnoxious. Uh, that are make them useless for Christ, all of those uh, terrible words there, there are eight of them, impossible to get along with and impossible to do God's work and function as a church. And number three, I'm afraid that I'll be humiliated. Then I will, we'll have to be back to square one And and still many of you can't figure out not to be getting drunk and being sexually immoral. That's his last statement there. I'm afraid I'm going to have to come back in and repreach preach the gospel. He says, how humiliating to that, to come back to the church you planted six years ago and then start again with the A, Bs, and Cs. He says, uh, that's a fear of mine. Chapter 13, and we're done. Like two more little paragraphs, three little paragraphs, and we're done. All right, here we go. This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses quoting Deuteronomy. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. Now I'm going to repeat it. On my return, I will not spare those who sin earlier or any of the others if they haven't repented. Since you're demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, he's not weak in dealing with you, but powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we're weak in him, yet by God's power we live with him to serve you. And so here we are, in verses one through four, a very stern. Warning note taker. So two things he's warning. He's saying he's coming with authority as an arbitrator, right? To to, kind of judge things out there and fix the problems. And secondly, he's going to deal with the troublemakers. So he quotes Deuteronomy 19 and verse 15 saying, listen, the facts of every case must be established by the testimony of two to three witnesses. Here's what he's saying by this. When I come, I'm going to fix the church problems. We don't want to deal with petty grievances and hurt feelings. We want to talk about substantial matters. That's what he's quoting Deuteronomy about. Don't be telling me about rumors and gossip and there's a real problem over here because I heard. Oh, no, 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 no. Let's not waste our time. Let's get the real problems out on the table. And that's what the verse is there. Three and following, he's saying the, the kid gloves are coming off. right. He's saying those from the last painful visit who haven't repented and they still think, well, whatever. I'm going to still live my immoral ways and be part of the church family and enjoy the church family benefits. He says they're going to have a second thing coming. I'm going to come in and I'm going to use the power that God has given me to disfellowship them. That's what that means. So that you can't enjoy both. You can't do your sinning and enjoy being a part of God's family. And then verse three, he says, ironically, he says, and that's what you say I'm lacking. So you want to see fireworks? Okay, I can bring fireworks. And he says, this is it. When I'm around you, usually it's timid, timidity, meekness, gentleness of Christ. But when I come and I have to take care of business, there are two sides. Behold the kindness and severity of God. Behold the weakness of a stripped, battered, broken Savior on a cross. And then watch him in power rise from the dead. There's two sides, people. So he's saying, yeah, there's the soft-spoken me when I tiptoe around the congregation, try to make everybody happy. But when it comes time to taking care of business, like the two sides of God, there are two sides of ministry. One is warm, fuzzy. And the other one is, you, sir, are not allowed back in this fellowship. You see the big guy at the door? <laughs> the big usher? you <laughs> will take care of business. And he's got a stun gun, sir. <laughs> and he's not afraid to use it. You know? That's what he's saying. Now, now he, he goes on to say, you, you, you know, he, he's saying, I, I don't want to do it that way. Okay, five, five through ten. And then we're seriously, no, I'm serious. Look, there's like one little, uh, yeah. And there's only 14 verses. Look at you. (laughs) Examine yourselves. We're almost done, people. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. Don't you realize that Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test, Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we can't do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. Verse 9, we're glad whatever we're weak, but you are strong and our prayer is for your perfection. That is why I write these things when I'm absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, The authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not tearing you down. All right. So we move from a very stern warning to a very important test. So he says, listen, preemptive strike here. Can we just figure out one question? I just have one question before I come. Are you saved or not? That's what I want to know. I just want to know. I want you to ask yourself. I'm not going to make a list for you and check boxes. I want you to test yourself. You know enough now. Look in the mirror with a cold eye and say, am I saved? Is Christ on board? Is there moral transformation? Do I love God? Do I love what God loves and hate what God hates? Of course not perfectly. But are you waking up changed? Are you still in your sins and nothing's changed except where you go and you're a churchgoer? He says, part of the problem at Corinth is that there are a bunch of churchgoers there. Check yourself, man. Try to find a spiritual pulse. And he says, and he goes on, if Christ is in you, and he's kind of saying since Christ is in you, let's quit playing games. So 6... On, he goes on to say, I hope, verse six, I hope you can see we haven't failed the test, though it looks like in our weakness and our suffering, check this out, and all our chaos, it may look like ugh, he's always in jail. He's always got troubles. He's, got a, he's always got problems. So it looks like I have failed the test. And, and this is the truth. When people are always in trouble, when they're always got some kind of dramatic thing in their life, we tend to think, well, something's going on with them. They're not doing something right. So he says, even though it kind of looks like I'm a mess, I haven't failed the test. I'll just have a messy life, right? I'm an apostle. That's what he's saying. So he says... We haven't failed the test number 1. Look, my strong words, I love this verse 7. My strong words which I just spoke. We love you guys. We're praying for you guys. We hope for better things. And he says, my prayers that you don't do anything wrong. That's what this is all about that you be wise and blessed and stop doing stuff that that hurts your life. That's the heart of this letter. And then verse nine, he says, we're glad to be weak and suffering and imprisoned on your behalf so that you can be strong. I'll be weak. I'll have the messed up life for you. I preach, I get beatings, but so you're strong so that you know Christ. And he says, I, I'm happy to do that. And then and, and he continues on. He says, um, The reason we write so boldly and harshly and bluntly, like I'm going to not spare anybody, he says we do that as a preemptive strike. Let's work it out before, right? So I don't have to use my authority to tear you down, but to build you up. We've made it to the last paragraph. Let's see it. Let's stand together. Church, let's stand. We are going to recite it together, as is sometimes our tradition when we finish up books, all right? So together, reading with me, finally, brothers, goodbye. (laughs) That's kind of funny. (laughs) Goodbye already. (laughs) Those Corinthians. All right. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that by your grace we finished another verse-by-verse study through a, a very challenging book, 2 Corinthians, filled with lots of treasures for us, God, especially through our weakness and conflicts in life to see that they're really, they can be good things. So help us learn our lessons, Lord, and to accept the hard things, pray about everything, Lord, but to cooperate, to keep a soft heart, especially with the things that test us and draw us closer to you. We thank you for those things. We thank you for our lives in Christ's name and all God's people said. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like I'm to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. Sometimes it feels like I'm